Uh, as I said uh, at the start, tonight is a little bit different. Uh, we're looking at this theme of everyday discipleship, what it means, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, when we saw we had to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus. Well, what does that mean uh, in the day-to-day life? And, uh, and later, Ruth will be giving us three biographies of, of just ordinary people that she knows, but who are doing that in, in different ways. Um, but just before uh, we start that, I think it's worth just taking two minutes just to remind ourselves of what we've seen in this series uh, of Seeing Jesus. We've looked at it, this term, Mark 6 to 9, um, and it's that context of what we've seen that, that uh, sets the framework for tonight, gives the motivation and the reasons uh, for, the, for our discipleship. Um, so uh, hopefully we'll get up on the screen um, some of the things that we have seen uh, don't worry if not. Uh, we have seen, uh, if you remember right back to the start of term, Jesus' message of repentance. Uh, we saw him send out those 12 people uh, with that message. Here we go. Um, so we've seen Jesus' message. And they had an example of Herod responding completely the wrong way. Uh, he didn't repent. Then we saw Jesus' kingship, how he fed 5,000 people, how he is their shepherd king. We saw Jesus' power, how he walked on water. We saw Jesus' diagnosis, that the problem is our hearts, and the only solution is a heart transplant from God. We've seen Jesus' compassion as he's brought the excluded to be included, bringing in the Gentiles. Uh, And last week, we saw Jesus' glory at the transfiguration. Nothing more to see once we have seen Jesus as truly is. We listen to him. And you see, Mark has loaded the first half of his gospel with these accounts to show us who Jesus is. So we'd see who he is. And the whole name of the gospel is then that we would declare who he is, as we saw with Peter uh, in chapter 8, where he says, you are the Messiah. As I read earlier, the Roman centurion at the end of Mark's gospel says, surely this man was the son of God. Um, And hopefully as we've gone through this term, that's what you want to say about Jesus. That he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, uh, that he is our Saviour, that he is our Lord. Uh, And if you haven't gone to that that point, then that's fine. That's great that you are here and still looking into more about Jesus uh, and who he is and keep doing that. But if you are here and you know who Jesus is and you're wanting to follow him, then hopefully this evening will give you more opportunities to do that. That's what we're, uh, how we're trying to wrap this uh, series up um, at the end uh, of this term and give us some food for thought. Uh, as I mentioned, there's an opportunity for you to ask questions uh, of Ruth and myself um, after the service over food. Uh, there's a text number that will be on the screen. You can text your question in or there's bits of paper throughout the back if you want to write them down. Uh, but I hope this evening will be useful. I hope we will uh, fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus because he sets the pattern uh, for uh, this discipleship. And as we do that, and as we see him once again, that we'd want to be sacrificial in following him. And with that in mind, we're going to turn to our reading. Uh, It is on page 1012 uh, of the Red Bibles. And we have Bibles in other languages, of course, which are available either at the side or at the back. Um, And the pages for those are on the screen. But we're going to read on page 1012 in the Red Bibles, From Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 27. So Mark 8, starting at verse 27. 
Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do you say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I'm going to tell you a bit about my three friends, um, Jenny, Tracy, and Alan. I got to know all three of them when I was living in London, and I think they are really great models of everyday discipleship. So that's why I'm sharing their stories. Um, we just read Mark chapter 8, um, when Jesus calls his followers to deny themselves and take up his cross. And if you remember when James did the sermon two weeks ago, He talked about how a big motivation was the eternal perspective, um, that it was easier to lose your life now um, when you remembered um, the eternal glory that you were gaining. Um, When you put them on the scale and you think about earthly sacrifices and eternal glory and weigh them up, it's clear which one's the winner. And I think, yes, that is a motivation. When I think of the future and all the glory to come, it's easier to make sacrifices today. But I find that the big challenge is that we see everyone else around us just living for now. Everyone's pursuing their own desires, seeking self-fulfillment, and it's so easy to get caught up in the flow. So as well as that eternal perspective, what really makes a difference and spurs us on is having good models and examples of sacrificial living. When we see other people doing it, we realize it's possible. So my hope is that as you hear about Jenny, Tracy, and Alan, and the different ways they follow Jesus, that you'll be encouraged and challenged to make costly sacrifices in your own lives as you take up your cross to follow him. So first up, Jenny. Jenny and I lived together in the same flat in London seven years ago. We lived in Oval by the cricket ground, and we became friends through church. At that time, Jenny worked in HR for a big American company, um, and, now, and then she trained as a primary school teacher. 
lived, um, she's now married and lives in South London. Her husband is James and they have two children, Lucy, who's two, and Bethany is just a few months old. Um, By the time I got to know Jenny, she'd already been living in London for a few years and her faith had already matured quite a bit. But she had lots of stories to tell about her uni days in Swansea and she really lived it up. She enjoyed the partying, the drinking, the boys. The whole time she called herself a Christian and she still went to church most Sundays. But the idea of laying down her life, um, making sacrifices, wasn't on her radar. That didn't happen until... She moved to London and settled into a church where they taught that. Um, so, yeah, so she started to make changes gradually. Um, they were quite small, things like denying herself an extra bit of sleep in the morning so she could read her Bible, denying herself that extra drink at the pub so she wasn't tipsy, denying herself potential relationships with guys who weren't Christian. I've actually got quite an embarrassing story, embarrassing for me, not Jenny, um, which will help you see how Jenny's attitude to relationships changed. When she worked in HR, I was a speech therapist for guys in St. Thomas. And I came home one day, I was all excited, I really remember this conversation, and I was like, oh, I've signed up for this event at work, I can't wait to go speed dating. And she just, without a blink of an eye, said, you're not going speed dating. And I said, come on, it's going to be such a laugh. Like, I've even got other girls in work signed up. We're going to have so much fun. I've always wanted to try this. Yeah, you know, and she was like, no. And Jenny loves a laugh. I thought this was right up her street. So her quite, you know, flat refusal did surprise me. Um, But she, yeah, she told me in no uncertain terms that I was putting myself in a risky position. Um, We both agreed that I wasn't going to date a non-Christian, So the chances of me meeting a Christian at the event were slim to none. And instead, I was probably going to fall for some doctor, and it wasn't wise for me to go. And, well, I listened to Jenny, and I didn't go to the event. Um, And that just shows you that the Jenny of her university days was long behind her. Um, She wanted a relationship um, as much as the next person, but she wasn't going to compromise her beliefs, and she wasn't going to let me compromise mine either. She practiced and encouraged me to deny myself in this way. Jenny got married five years ago, and she'd tell you that James is not a guy who would have attracted her while she was at uni. Um, But he is a great encouragement to her in her faith, and he points her to Jesus um, and challenges her sin. Um, They've both made lots of sacrifices, big and small, in their marriage, and I just want to highlight three of them. Um, Where they live, their friendships, and money. So I mentioned they live in South London. Well, Jenny would love to live in the West Country where she grew up. They don't live there, partly because of James's job, but another reason is that they're committed to their local church. So they plan to stay where they are for the foreseeable future. James is a church warden. Jenny leads one of the women's Bible studies, and they serve in lots of other ways too. I'm sure it would be lovely for her to live near Bath, to be closer to her dad, to give her girls a childhood like her own, but instead they stay in their crowded London suburb and not-so-perfect church. Jenny has loads of friends, loads. She's one of those super outgoing, very chatty types. She's been bridesmaid at least five times. Um, I actually can't remember how many, but several times even when I lived with her. Um, But she sacrifices those old friendships for new ones at church and in her local community. 
Since they moved to South London four years ago, she's intentionally tried to invest in friendships. She's always on the lookout for new people or those on the fringe. An example of that is a Bulgarian woman that Jenny met at the swings in the park. She struck up a conversation, and as a result, the woman came to the church playgroup. Then she and her husband both did Christianity Explored, and wonderfully, they became Christians. Jenny and James even invited this family away with them for a bank holiday weekend, staying at James's dad's house. Her old friends are still the most comfortable and often more spiritually encouraging, but instead of arranging to see them or Skyping them, she denies herself those easy friends and spends time with the people near her. Money is another area of sacrifice, especially as they have decided while the girls are young, Jenny won't go back to work, but will care for the girls and be as involved in the church and the local community as much as possible. Jenny loves teaching, but she doesn't miss that so much. Rather, it's the money she misses. Living on one salary is a challenge, and with James working in local council, he isn't really earning big money. Having less than others in their street or even in their church is hard. I know she finds it easy to be jealous or to desire what others have, or even just to desire what she used to have. Things like a big budget for clothes and foreign holidays. Now even affording a UK holiday is a stretch. It seems like a small thing, but when everyone around you is going on holiday, it, been, it can be quite hard to miss out. But they do it because they want their neighbours and their children to hear about Jesus. Some of the sacrifices Jenny has made, and in a moment you'll hear about Tracy and Alan, some of their sacrifices might sound a bit much. Maybe they make you feel a bit uncomfortable. Possibly they get your back up. I sometimes feel the same. It's uncomfortable having your lifestyle choices and decisions questioned. But the thing is, for most of us, we have got too comfortable. And the idea of radical, genuinely costly sacrifice is foreign to us. So it's time now to move on to Tracy. We're going to watch a video clip of her. And you'll soon see that she is very familiar with genuine, costly sacrifice. Tracy was part of my Christianity Explored group back in 2013. And this video clip is from livingout.org. So hopefully, I think it'll make its way onto the screen for us. So that was Tracy. Um, the Bible is quite clear that sex only takes place in marriage. So every unmarried Christian, if they are following Jesus and seeking to deny themselves, then abstaining from pre-marital sex is a given. And I remember walking along a street in London with Tracy, chatting about this very thing, and I asked how she felt about the sacrifice. She pointed out that we were not that different from each other, both single and therefore missing the intimacy of marriage, and both denying ourselves sex. The only difference was Tracy was basically 100% certain that she would never marry. She rightly understood that God has ordained marriage to be between a man and a woman, and like you heard in the video, she can't see herself ever changing to fancy men anytime soon. I, on the other hand, might marry. Five years on from that conversation, I still might. Tracy's commitment to denying herself was clear from the very start but it was put to the test early on. A close friendship with another um, Christian became intimate and, in her words, ungodly. So they decided they couldn't spend time together anymore, but they were still in the same friendship group. That was a really tough time. I remember it. 
And on the video, um, she mentioned the woman who read the Bible with her, and she was there. She had the two young boys, and she was running down the road. This woman who met with her every week, she was so worried for Tracy during this time. She cried every week, not to Tracy. She never told Tracy, but she would ring her mom, and she would sob and say, I don't think she's going to make it. It's too hard. How can she keep going? Um, But it was amazing. Wonderfully, the Lord kept Tracy, gave her the strength, and she kept following Jesus. And Tracy says one of the things that helped her persevere were passages like Mark 8, where it's really clear that following Jesus is supposed to be hard. We're meant to lay down our lives, and she was just feeling that. And you might have questions about whether this is really a sacrifice that Jesus calls his followers to make. I know this is a sensitive subject, and unfortunately, I don't have the time to say more at the moment. But the website where Tracy's video is from was livingout.org, and it is a great website full of videos and helpful information. Um, So look there, but also you can chat to me or James or other people after the service, um, and there's the time in the Q&A to ask your questions. Actually, Tracy said that although the girlfriend thing is a big sacrifice, her personal discipleship is so much more than that. It spans her whole life including her attitudes and lots of daily little decisions to deny self and live for Jesus. Like not cycling through red lights. Like leading on a kid's camp when she'd rather not. Sitting beside newcomers at church when, she, when she'd rather be beside her best mates. Chatting to people after church when she feels tired and can't be bothered and would rather just slip on home and get ready for work the next day. Tracy's sacrifices are the same ones that we are all making. Tracy said that lately she's been trying to swallow her pride and say sorry when she ought to, even if no one has noticed that what she did or said was wrong. Another big area of sacrifice is using her singleness to serve others rather than to pursue her own interests. So for a while, she didn't want to become a small group leader um, because it would take too much time. Um, All the the prepping and planning studies and meeting up for the individuals, um, yeah, she, she didn't she you know she didn't want to give all that time because that was time that she could be putting into having um, the things that she wants. Um, and one of those things is um, she's a physio, and so the people surrounding her are all pursuing the best version of their body, the slimmest, <clears throat> the most toned, the strongest, the best version of you. And that is one of the things that she finds really tempting is to want to pursue that and to use her time. Um, but she goes against the flow. She tries to deny herself this and instead to use her time to serve Jesus and not herself. Um, I'd love to tell you more about Tracy. Um, maybe ask me more things in the Q&A. Um, we're going to have a song now. Um, so Katie is going to sing for us. Um, just stay in your seats. She'll sing the first verse. Um, and then after that, if you want to join in in your seats, you can. If you just want to enjoy Katie's singing, um, it's a chance for us to reflect Um, on our desire to wholly follow Jesus. So lastly, Alan. Alan lives in East London. He is a tall, friendly man with a big, booming voice. Alan doesn't need a microphone. No matter where he is, you'll be able to hear him. He's 58 years old. Um, He's married to Elizabeth. He's been married for over 30 years. They have six children, and they've all flown the nest. For the past 10 years, he's been doing admin and bookkeeping for Christian organizations and coaching chess, which he's very passionate about. 
And before that, he worked in the city of London as a PR manager, but never on the big city salary. He says, I was never important in the city. (laughs) He became a Christian um, in his teens, in his late teens, and he understood early on that that meant um, living for Jesus in your everyday life. I asked him, like, when do you think you got it? He was like, well, I always knew. (laughs) Um, Alan is wonderfully humble and considers himself just a normal Christian who isn't particularly sacrificial. Um, But I think that's just because it's become the norm for him. Over time, his priorities have been shaped by the gospel, which means that much of his decisions don't feel like self-denial to him. Um, They're just an expression of his love for the Lord. Take, for example, his marriage. Um, I specifically asked him about it, and he replied, I've been blessed with a very happy marriage, and any sacrifices I might have made have made no lasting impression impression on me of having been sacrifices at all. So... You know, 30-plus years of marriage, and he doesn't think he's made a single sacrifice. Um, And that isn't because he hasn't been a good husband. (laughs) Um, The same whole-life devotion is seen in his attitude to church. Alan and Elizabeth were part of a church in their local community for more than 20 years. Um, But over time, the teaching changed, and they felt it wasn't the right place for them anymore. It didn't prioritize community or mission, um, so it was time for them to go. So they sacrificed staying at that church, um, at their local church where they were comfortable, and instead they joined one where they knew the teaching was better, but it was a hassle to get to. Um, They've never owned a car, um, and they liked walking to church, and now they would have to, you know, get on the the London tube system in order to go to church. Um, So, yeah, they never, even though they spent then a couple of years at this new church, and they never, I think they always disliked commute. Um, but they stuck with it, uh, Sundays and midweek. Um, and then three years ago, they joined a church plant closer to their uh, home, um, and they're the oldest couple um, by a large margin. Um, but typical of Alan, he doesn't think it's been a sacrifice to be part of a church plant, uh, even though he shoulders more responsibilities, uh, like being the treasurer and heading up um, a welcome team. But here's a direct quote from Alan. There have been very few times that being involved with church has felt like a sacrifice. What else would have been worth pouring my life into? Um, I asked him if he found it hard to respect the leaders of the church, what with him being 20 years older than them. But he says it's not a problem. And I think that's, again, a mark of his humility and servant-heartedness. One of the things I picked up about Alan was the high value he places on relationships. Throughout his life, he has made a deliberate effort to invest in people. When it comes to money and time, he bases his decisions on what will make an impact on his friends and family for eternity. In his late 20s, he didn't take a potentially lucrative job role with Bloomberg because they wanted him to work eight to six at a minimum and only 15 days holiday. Supposedly, that's when American companies could give you American holidays. Um, And he felt that he couldn't be a good husband or a father with the hours that were required. Um, So he turned that down. Um, Another example is that ever since his oldest child was about four years old, he's taken his children out for breakfast. Um, They're on a weekly rota. And even now, although some of them are married, he still picks up the phone to arrange breakfast with them. Alan loves those times um, of conversation with them. They get to choose where they go, so he says it can be quite expensive um, to have these breakfasts, but they seem like a real highlight in his week. Um, 
Uh, so yeah, he says that much of his money goes on spending time with people, be it hospitality, eating out, or going on holidays. The holiday destination is always decided based on where they can see family and friends. If it's also a nice place, then that's an added bonus. But the spiritual benefit is the driving factor. And the last thing to mention about Alan is that in his current phase of life, he feels he has a lot more discretionary time. And the challenge for him is to not be self-indulgent. And then I asked, what ways do you feel tempted to be self-indulgent? And it's watching TV and playing computer games. Um, and I asked, what games? And he said, Twilight Struggle. So his son got him into it, and now he just plays online with strangers. And I can't really picture him with a headset on, um, recreating the Cold War. But that's his temptation. Um, so he said that he's having to rethink the good works that the Lord has prepared for him, seeing as he was, um, seeing as he no longer spends an hour every evening with his children, and then all the other responsibilities that go with um, a young family. Um, for many years, he felt his time was mapped out for him, whereas now he's free to choose, and he finds that making godly, sacrificial choices every day isn't easy. Um, so I've run out of time on um, Jenny, Tracy, and Alan. Um, I could carry on telling you stories about them for a long time. Um, I really hope you've been inspired by the normal and yet radical ways in which they've led down their lives. Um, and I hope it does make you think about what are the little ways or the big ways that you can make sacrifices. Um, I'm going to hand back over to James.